And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Fast PP. Top rookie, I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum. Fournier. Brown, we off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to. The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you a week after the bombshell news that Brad Stevens will be stepping up to be the president of basketball operations. Danny Ainge is out uh, with their Celtics need a new head coach, pure madness uh, of an offseason that we didn't necessarily see coming. And we have more news today. Bleacher Report is reporting uh, that Kemba Walker and the Boston Celtics have a kind of a mutual agreement to part ways. Uh, Farbod, I'm going to mess this name up and I apologize. Uh, Farbod and Nasari reporting that uh both the Celtics want to trade Kemba, which I think a lot of us thought might be an option, but also reporting that Kemba himself wants out. Jay King, what is your reaction to this uh, reported story? Well, I think there are a number of layers to keep in mind here. Um, one is that, you know, if, if Walker was that disgruntled about the Celtics trying to trade him last offseason – then he played the whole season with after that, and the Celtics held on to him then. They held on to him for another year. He kept trying to play through his knee issues, like played through pain, played through a lot of annoying stuff um, with that. So, And then the other aspect of it is even if he does want out, like who, who's going to take him? And, and what deal makes sense for the Celtics? to get off that contract and not take back something that could hurt them long-term. And Kemba's still good. Like Kemba, by the end of the season, had a very good run going. Obviously, he got hurt in game two. Obviously, he's, a, you know, his his health is iffy moving forward, obviously. Um, 
you know, the the fit with him and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, there there are questions about that. But finding equal value for a contract like that without um like ruining your cap situation even further is is tough. And so I don't know if there's a deal out there, even if he does want out. I don't think even if he does want out, he has a lot of leverage because he's had two, you know, injury shortened seasons in a row. Um, I mean, the first one was an injury shortened, but he got injured and was banged up throughout the playoffs. And then this this past season got injured in the playoffs and couldn't finish against the Nets. So even if he wants out, I don't know if if the deal for him is out there that would make sense for the Celtics. Yeah, he has over seventy million dollars on the like next two years. I just don't see like it is. I guess a report that he doesn't feel wanted anymore. I guess it's also reported in this story that uh, Ainge tried to trade him for Drew Holiday uh, in the offseason, which is the first I'm hearing of that, but. You know, Danny, Danny Ainge, uh, given his reputation, is apparently in on every single trade that's ever existed. But Kemba has zero leverage in this situation because unless he's willing to take a buyout and then like hit free, like his contract has negative value. I just don't see what situation there's not a lot of trades out there that like make sense for the Celtics in terms of either giving them cap flexibility or bringing them back a player who's useful around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Now there's been like the great bloggers out there. Jeff Clark from Celtics blog did his job and put together a bunch of trades that like possibly work for Kemba Walker, but none of them really are that appealing um, from a Celtics perspective. I think the first one that stuck out to me was another guy who feels slighted and has a giant albatross contract. It's like, is Kemba, I mean, Chris Tapps Porzingis. I don't think that makes sense. He has a longer contract than Kemba does and for more guaranteed money. Like, I don't know what the deal is that works out for the Celtics um, that, that kind of makes all parties happy. And th- this is part of the reason why Brad stepped into a tough job. Like it's an en- enviable job in some ways because he has Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and a team that was is more talented than, than it's 500 record. Um, but like, there's a lot of cap stuff to figure out. There's a financial mess. Um, especially if the Celtics resign Evan Fournier, they got to figure out probably somewhere or somewheres to cut salary. Um, and then this, the Kemba Walker contract just isn't a good one. And so maybe there is a team out there that would take on the Kemba contract because you can convince yourself that Kemba can still play at a high level and maybe you can convince yourself that he can have one good season and then you can flip him next year when, when he only has seasons. one, one more just- year left. Yeah, like it, it's not totally out of the question for some team to look at Kemba and think, you know what, we could use that guy. Um, but the Mavericks don't make sense because – like who are they going to replace Chris Tapps Porzingis with? Also, one of the problems with Kemba right now is that he's not really the best off-ball player. Like he's a ball dominant guard. You don't really want to pair him with Luka Doncic. Like Luka, Chris Tapps is upset because Luka's taking all the shots. You don't think like Kemba Walker's going to have a problem with that? 
I just like, I believe me, I've been through the trade machine. I've looked at all the deals. There's nothing that really gets you anything back in terms of like anywhere close to equal talent. Like maybe you can exchange Kemba Walker for three guys and you get like some solid role players. But I think the question for Brad Stevens is, is getting out from underneath Kemba Walker's uh, salary just worth it enough? Like we saw the Sixers kind of do that last year. Um, I think it was a different situation just because they got pieces that fit around uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and they got shooting back when they traded uh, Al Horford and Josh Richardson. But is it worth it just to make the trade? And it matters. It like like the value is just getting him off the books. It matters less about what you get back. Yeah, and and I think it's important to keep in mind too that Kemba's deal only goes two more years, and at that point, if the Celtics choose to. They will have an opportunity to create a lot of cap space. And at that point, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown will be still under contract, will be probably entering their primes or fully in their primes, and will probably be big draws for a free agent acquisition, a potential free agent acquisition, or whichever disgruntled star is available on the market then. And so Brad Stevens has a lot to figure out. It's it's a complicated map, um, and he needs to figure out a direction for the Celtics to go. Whether it's you know trim salaries now, increase your flexibility for later. Um, but the the one thing that I'm sure of is that by the time Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have decisions on their next contract, and that can come like that doesn't come when you're a free agent anymore. That comes a year or two before you're a free agent sometimes, um, then but at that point, the Celtics need to show those guys that they can compete and contend for years to come. And so that's Stevens' challenge. And this the Kemba decision, um, whatever it is, is going to be one of his obvious um, kind of big first steps as as the president of basketball operations and it's going to be he's going to have to make a decision on a guy who I think he he really really appreciates as a person and you know really respects as a player too so we'll see we will see how the Celtics proceed with all of this but they are definitely um by the way I think those Campbell for KP trade would be bad for the Celtics. It would be awful for the Celtics. I just wanted to highlight our friend Seabart in the comment calling me a clown and saying it's a great trade. Then he says, Kemba is washed. He can't have two good seasons. And then he says, it makes perfect sense for Dallas because the they need a point guard who can score. Why would they want the guy who you just said was washed? Well, and why I, would the Celtics want Chris Tapps Porzingis and his 12 points and eight rebounds a game? Like, I think the idea of Chris Tapps Porzingis makes sense as like a big who can space the floor, but you're just going from one salary cap hell to an even worse one. It's a terrible idea. Yeah, the, the thing about that trade that wouldn't make sense to me, um, and Porz like the Celtics could use a stretch big. They didn't have one last year, and I think that limited some of the things they could do offensively. But the bigger thing to me is Porzingis has an extra year on his deal. Whereas the Celtics at this point could clear the, the books from Kemba and have a chance to create serious financial flexibility in two years. 
Chris Stapps has three left. And so when you're trying to build a team, that, that's a very big difference. Um, as far as being a difference maker, like would Chris Stapps Porzingis put the Celtics over the top? I don't think so. And so adding, tacking on that extra year would, would probably be, you know, too, too much for the Celtics, I would think. You're going to run out Chris Stapps pro, like, and uh, Time Lord lineups? And you're just going to go two bigs again? Because that was awesome last year. Everyone loved when there has no spacing. It just seems ridiculous. The one idea that I like, I'm just trying to think of teams who need a point guard. Like the Clippers, uh, they kind of brought in Rondo this year, but they clearly have struggled with Pat Beverly. Like uh, maybe a deal for like Pat Beverly, Luke Kennard, and Terrence Mann. Although Luke Kennard is he's a he's huge a playoff, playoff killer now. I mean, don't know about that. He didn't get into what game six of that series, but maybe he turned the series. Well, but what happened also, in game seven? What are you doing game one against Utah? He stood next to Kawhi Leonard as Kawhi Leonard led them to glory. But there's like not a lot of deals out there that make a lot of sense to me. And I just think it's going to be a very interesting offseason because there are no good free agents, really. They're not like they're. Basically, it's supposed to be the summer of Giannis, and then Giannis signed his extension, and all these teams have kind of cap room, including the Mavericks, including the um, Miami Heat. But there's just not a lot of teams out there or a lot of good free agents out there um, who like are going to make a difference. Like, if you're a team like the Celtics are right now, and I think this also rings true with a team like the Trailblazers, like a playoff team, a solid playoff team with a core in place, but you are looking to make an upgrade – in terms of free agency, there's not a lot of great options out there. I think there's a Chris Paul, I would assume, goes back to the Suns. But then there's pretty much not a lot of big names. And then, like, the actual difference makers, it feels like some of the restricted free agents, like John Collins and then Lonzo Ball, um, and those are people that, like, the Celtics' only free agent acquisition they can do this year uh is basically bring back Evan Fournier. Like that's just the cap situation they're in. Even if they cleared Kemba Walker's salary just for nothing, they would still be like, they couldn't add a free agent. And so um, I just don't know what the league's going to do absent major trades this year, because I just don't know what, how you really shift around all these things. I suspect there will be major trades. Backard. You like, you think Dame is out? I think it's possible. He's certainly giving off the vibe that he is very frustrated with what's going on there. And that even if he doesn't want out now, they have a window of opportunity where they better please him and better improve and better hire a coach that he likes. Um, I think, but from the Celtics perspective, you're right. Like Brad has to kind of navigate like, trying to be competitive now and trying to add to a roster that wasn't good enough and getting out of salary cap hell. So how he does that, I'm not sure, but he has to. And it's going to be a tricky dance. It is going to be a tricky dance for Brad Stevens. Um, and if you, know, if, if you do take a step back talent-wise, like there's going to be – a lot on the young guys like Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, and Romeo Langford to develop and get better. And I think there's there's some optimism there, right? Like Neesmith, when he played late in the season, was typically pretty good. Romeo Langford came out of nowhere to start in the playoffs and had his best game of the season um, and can clearly hold up defensively. If he can develop at all offensively, then he'll, he'll be interesting. 
And then, you know, if if you do let Fournier go, then those guys need to step up. Peyton Pritchard needs to step up. Um, and I think, like, like, it could work out, and the Celtics could be better next season anyway, especially if their top guys are healthier. But if you're Jason Tatum, if you're Jalen Brown, you've gone to the Eastern Conference Finals multiple times, and you're going to be frustrated if, again, you're – then I'm just assuming now, but you're going to be frustrated if your supporting cast just isn't good enough again. And because of that, you take criticism, you take heat, just like those two guys did this past season. So Brad, it's it's a very complicated situation that that he has stepped into. Um, and they have a lot to figure out this summer, like Begins with the head coach. We haven't even talked we'll, about their head coach we'll, search. We'll get We're to 15 minutes coach. in and we haven't even talked about their head coach search because they have a lot going on. Well, you will definitely get to that. We have a lot of uh, listener questions and thanks to everyone who wrote in. I want to do a podcast gimmick right now in terms of like how important uh, the these players are for the Celtics roster next year or who you would target the most. Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Evan Fournier. Who's the most important piece to bring back for the Celtics, I guess, moving forward? Then that can be a long-term thing, um, or it could just be for next season. I think – I would say Marcus Smart. Um, and I think Fournier is like a a very good offensive fit if he's in the role where it's like he's a sixth man, bring him off the bench. But I think we saw in the playoffs, like defensively, it's going to be tough for him to hold up. Um, in certain matchups. And obviously the Nets are just totally different than any team. Oh, they've ruined basketball. They're totally different <laughs> than any team. And the defensive challenge against the Nets, um, there's, like, there's just nowhere to hide a guy. But I think he showed that his defense will be a problem at the highest level of basketball. And So is it worth even paying him the probably, what, you, you think he's going to get like three years, probably anywhere from 50 to 60 million, Sometimes you got to bite that bullet considering he's the only kind of talent you can, I don't, not add to the roster, but you have to bring him back. Um, I'm in the basement, David, man. We got, we got listeners chirping me for not having anything behind me. I got, I got a Peloton behind me. I'm just in the basement, man. It's not even my basement. So foreign basements, just sneaking into people's houses, foreign basements. So don't blame me. I agree with you that I think it's smarts probably the most important just because I mean, one, if you get rid of Kemba, you're not going to have Peyton Pritchard be your starting point guard this year. I think Marcus smarts perimeter defense is just, he's a guy who can, we can, we saw him play phenomenal defense against Dame Lillard against other kind of top perimeter players in the league. I think he's the most important and I don't think he's going to be as expensive as the other players. He's extension eligible, I believe. And you can give him, um, I just think he's like more important to the core of this roster. Well, something you've talked about is like, they need tough guys. They need guys who are physical. He's pretty much the only person on that team who kind of provides that to them right now. I think losing him would be a mistake. Um, The other, like, I I think getting off campus contract would be uh, a plus for this team. Um, Especially if he doesn't want to be here anymore. You'd like rather have guys who are, are happy in their situation I do ultimately think they need to re-sign Fournier, but it's like it really all depends on what happens with that Kemba contract first because that's a huge part of your cap space, and it's going to be interesting to see 
how the Celtics deal with that. Um, so my, my thing with that question and how to kind of rank those guys in order of importance is how, how, how are they going to fit next to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? And I think the way the Celtics have used Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in the past, including this year, isn't necessarily going to be how they use them moving, moving forward. I think we saw in the playoffs, like Jason Tatum is ready to become one of those like, like center of the solar system type guys, right? Like, like uh, obviously he's he's not the same as Luca as a playmaker, but one of those guys who's just gonna have the ball in his hands all the freaking time and draw doubles and find open teammates. And I think surrounding him and and Jalen Brown with the right types of pieces is the Celtics like that's that's what they need to do. And so I think when you're looking at that, if Kemba Walker's offense isn't going to be as important and then defense, you, you look at how, how can you build a team around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that accentuates their strengths, right? Well, they could be an amazing defensive team if if you got the right types of defenders around them because those two guys, what separates them from a lot of star duos is that they're both plus defenders and they're both long and they're both athletic and they can they can both guard a bunch of different positions. And so if you have Marcus Smart at point guard, that's – you're three fifths of the way to what should be an elite defensive lineup, and so that that's why I think the that he's the most important of those guys, and and that's why that's you know the the puzzle I think the Celtics have to solve is it's not just about like who's the best player in any type of situation. It's who's the best player around Tatum and Brown for the style, whatever style that is that the Celtics want to play. It's not. It's in addition to defense, Marcus Smart like can hit catch and shoot threes. Is has a little bit of playmaking. Is probably one of the Celtics' best players in the pick and roll. There's a lot of reasons why Marcus Smart's a good fit. Uh, no matter what, my good friend C Bart is uh, sounding off in the comments. Uh, we're gonna get to listener questions now. Before we get into C-Bart things, C Bart is going at Jam's neck today. I, I appreciate he's going that. At Marcus Smart's neck today, which is uh, absurd because everyone knows I love Marcus Smart. I trust Marcus Smart. Uh, he's bringing up the half-court heave, which is hilarious. Like, that was a hilarious moment, and credit to Marcus Smart for providing it to us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more transactions before we get into things like coach and uh, player development. Uh, this question is from CRS Beacon, and he's curious to hear thoughts on a possible Jalen trade. We talked about kind of keeping the core together of Jason and Jalen, but what if it's like a full – reset and you have a chance like i don't know we've seen i've seen so many photoshops of dame in a celtics jersey what are your thoughts of trying to get someone or me like jalen brown is your most valuable piece any like would you entertain trading him for someone like damian lillard who's one of the top like best guards in this game so i mean that's that's a difficult discussion because if if you pair jason tatum with dame like what do you do with that if, if you're a defense? You know, like, like really, what on earth do you do with that? But at the same time, like, if, if you're targeting Damian Lillard now, then you better be able to find a second superstar like that to surround Jason Tatum with when Damian Lillard's done. Because I think one of the primary goals, if not the very primariest goal – for the Celtics should be to position this team to have the right type of team 
around Jason Tatum when he's ready to make a decision. And I know it sounds like that's a long way out. It's not. Things move so fast in the NBA. Um, and the Celtics have a lot of pressure, starting with their head coaching decision, to put the pieces around Jason Tatum to get him to trust the organization long term. And so if, if you get Damian Lillard, like, cool, that team would be awesome. They would score a ton of points. They would have a chance to do great things in the playoffs. Um, if if the Nets, you know, are vulnerable at, at whatever point, maybe they'd have a chance to win a title. Um, but I think the age difference and, like, you should be trying to get Tatum and Brown, trying to position those guys to contend for a long time. And maybe Dame's good enough where you take that risk anyway. Um, Danny Ainge never really took those risks, but we're going to see what Brad Stevens' ideas of building a team are and and how much risk he's willing to take for the right situation. Um, Remember so, the last time the Celtics traded for a star point guard who uh, had like a, some time left on his contract and then he well, didn't end up re-signing? Dame, and Dame is a very different situation. I know, and Dame has four years left on his deal where Kyrie only had two. Very different player. Um and very different person. So still, it is risky trading for a guy. I mean, I'm assuming if Dame gets traded, he has to approve the situation. But Kyrie approved the trade too. Uh, you would rather trade for someone who's going to be there. And I just like I don't know. I'm not ready. It's a big swing. I don't know like if the Trailblazers are going to do it because if you do Jalen Brown, yeah, you still have to do additional picks and things like that. If they, I, I think they'll the, exhaust every avenue to keep Dame happy and that means hiring a coach that he wants that means you know trying to upgrade their roster they if still they have trade time. Dame, it's a full blow up like they are trying to tank to like there's no just trying to make it with CJ and Jalen Brown and Nurkic in the Western Conference just doesn't make any sense if you trade Dame you're basically going to bottom out and so I don't think it makes a lot of sense for the like for the Trailblazers I'd love to see Damian Lillard in a uh, Celtics uniform. I just don't think it's going to happen. The same to be said for Bradley Beal. I actually don't think trading Jalen Brown for Bradley Beal makes a lot of sense just because as you're talking about the timeline before, uh, I think Jalen Brown is a, uh, a better two-way player, even though Bradley Beal is quite good at basketball, a very good scorer. But I just like the kind like Jalen Brown is still quite young. And if you're talking about the timeline of those two guys, I like the idea of building uh, around them moving forward. It's 25 minutes into the podcast. And we still haven't talked about the fact that Celtics don't have a head coach. And so for this question from the main man, Eddie, Truth Faustino, who do you guys want as the new coach? I'll, I'll say that's framed for me. Jay, you're not allowed to have a preference because you are a big Jay journalist. But who do you think would be the best fit uh, to be the Celtics' next head coach? I, I think Jawan Howard would be great. I think sounds like the Celtics are interested in – uh, probably hiring a former player. And to me, Jawan Howard just has the right mix of like presence, um, experience with his head coaching at Michigan, but also the experience of being an assistant for, I think it was six years in Miami and the experience of such a long career where he, he played a bunch of different roles and, and kind of got, got to kind of learn like every, he was a star. He was, you know, bench guy, he, he kind of did everything in between. 
So J- Jawan Howard would make a lot of sense. I don't know how likely that is. I He's a king in Michigan right now. Um, Has he only been there for one year? Like, is he willing two, to? I believe. Two? So he's still like, is with, I, I don't know. It's weird making the jump. I still, it's like an NBA head coaching job and the Celtics is a, a big job, but like he's still going through like his first recruiting class. I think it's, I think it would be a, a good addition. I just don't know that much about his coaching ability, but I mean, he's really coached up the two Wagner boys. He he coached his ass off in Michigan this past season, um, and it's clear like those players really really have a lot of respect for him and the culture he built. So I think he'd be he'd be a very interesting choice. Um, I think he'd be a strong choice for a lot of different reasons. I, I like, and I think he would just kind of change the vibe and and it's not like Brad's. I don't think Brad's voice was like like guys just like shut him out or anything like that. But Jawan Howard is like a very different type of, of fiery, I think, and has a different type of presence. So that, that could be beneficial, you know, after, after so many years with Brad to just kind of hear somebody with a, a different voice. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, I think the the voice change is going to be huge. And I think one of the like reasons why I don't even if Brad was burned out this year or just like didn't feel like he was communicating as well. But I do think there's value in kind of changing who uh, who's trying to coach them, just a different approach. I mean, there's only so much time where you can hear about a growth mindset, but eventually you have or you not like there's like there's like see that's, that's a non growth mindset type of mindset you just threw out there. I know, but it's tough. You got to got to be able to adapt. Do you think they paint over the Kaizen um, steel beam in the R back center? Oh, wow. Or do you no, like, Brad's in charge of the whole fucking team now. Absolutely not. That is a good point. Um, I agree with you, though, and a former uh, player, I think, is important. I, my top person, uh, I think, uh, on the wish list is Sam Cassell. Like, very much similar to um, Jawan Howard in having huge playing experience, but then also coaching experience. Like, he's been coaching in the league since 2009. He basically he won a championship uh, and then basically went into coaching, was with the Wizards for, uh, I think, five years, then was with Doc. He's with Doc now in Philly. Um, we mentioned this last podcast. He's the inventor of the big balls dance, but he's just a guy with uh, a lot of uh, equity, as Dave Dufour likes to say, who just come in with a lot of experience. And I, you got to love a connection to a guy who's on the 08 championship team. Yeah, I think – uh, one of the reasons why I think Howard is is such a good fit is because he actually has head coaching experience. Granted, it's in college, but he obviously has a ton of experience with the NBA game too. And a lot of the candidates the Celtics have been rumored to be looking at just don't have any head coaching experience. And obviously you can get a great coach who's been a lifelong assistant. Um, how much do you think that's actually like important? Because I don't, I actually don't know. And I don't even know how you would quantify that because uh like is NBA experience more important than like you made fun of David Blatt last episode. He had a lot of head coaching experience. I don't know how you kind of uh, evaluate which one is more useful moving forward as the head coach. Is it like great knowledge of the NBA or is it like being the leader of a team and things like that? It's, it's an interesting question that I don't know uh, if there's a great answer to. Yeah. So I think obviously like great coaches can come from a lot of different, like Steve Kerr was, you know, he was the GM of the Suns and then he was working for TNT. And when he got hired, I was like, eh, who knows if this guy will be any good. And obviously he was the perfect leader for that Warriors team at that time to take them to the next level. Um, so you don't necessarily need to have NBA head coaching experience or any head coaching experience at all. It can be a crapshoot too. Like, like, look at Nate Bjorkren with Did the Pacers. Not work. Like, they they kind of went out on a limb, got rid of a very good coach, and tried to spice things up. And Bjorkren just couldn't connect with players. It it from the outside, it, at least it it looked like the the shift to head coaching, like it was just a lot to deal with for him. And you know, you're in charge at that point. You have to deal with all the personalities and juggle so many different things. And there's a huge, huge responsibility in that. Um, so I, I think coaching experience is probably a plus, uh, especially if you've been really good at it, like Howard. But you can definitely find a, a coach who has none of that and is still very, very good. Do you think 
there's any chance Brad Stevens goes with kind of the internal play, like coaches like James Laranaga, Jerome Allen. I know I think Scott Morrison interviewed for the job. Um, or like to me, that doesn't make si- like a lot of sense if you're looking for a voice change because anyone who's currently on the staff now, if they become head coach, things are not, it doesn't feel like it's going to tra- change drastically. And I know I feel like it's a difficult position for Brad because he clearly hired all of those coaches and respects all of those coaches. But if you are looking for kind of a, a shakeup, um, I don't think it makes sense to bring in your number two guy. And so with that being said, I think a lot of those coaches will probably be like leaving the organization just because if you bring in a new head coach, you would expect them to want to hire their own assistants. Well, when when Brad got hired, he kept some of the assistance from Doc Rivers' staff. So I don't think it's necessarily that I mean, it doesn't hire. mean like everyone has to leave, but you would imagine like Jay Laranaga, who's like close to getting head coaching jobs. I think there's a report today, Jerome Allen was interviewing for like lead assistant jobs with Detroit. Like you think that those guys would be wanting to kind of have opportunities elsewhere and Brad would probably want to be giving them those opportunities. Yeah. So that's a possibility. And, I think that the Celtics have several guys who could be head coaching head coaches in the future, in, including the guys you mentioned. Um, I think from an organizational standpoint, you know, you have a 36 and 36 team. If all that happens from that is, I mean, all that happens, it would be a lot to happen. But if, if what happens from that is Danny Ainge steps down, you hire Brad Stevens, who was a good coach, but also coached a 500 team this year. You elevate him to to GM and then replace him with a guy who was on his staff. I just think it's a bad look for the organization. And so I think and, and maybe Brad doesn't care about that. Maybe the owners don't care about that. Um, but if if image matters at all, then, you know, those candidates as as qualified as they are and as, as good as they are and as sharp as they are. And those guys are sharp. All the guys you mentioned. Um, I just think that the organization could want to go in a different way just to just to be like, we change things up. The and, point of it is a shakeup. You gotta shake things and, up. And and this is this is someone new. This is someone from the outside. Um so I I think there there could be some of that. Um, even though those guys that you mentioned like would all be qualified candidates. All right, this question's from Will Power. I appreciate if you and Jay King can work a Yuri Welsh name drop into the podcast. That's today. not how a Yuri Welsh name drop works. Patrick. Well, you didn't see you're this. Supposed, you're supposed to just slide it in there. Well, I did. I had nothing, and I you're feel supposed like, to say, "Can Romeo Langford be the new Yuri Welsh?" Or can something he like that. answer your own question? Nobody can be the new Yuri Welsh. Not well, sure anybody would want to be the new Yuri Welsh. I was a big Yuri Welsh guy when he first got to, to Boston, though. I thought he was going to be pretty good. And you were wrong. Uh, all right, next question. Another one from Truth Fastino. I think it's another big question that we just, like, has fallen uh, well back in, in terms of just, like, because crazy things need to happen during the new coach and Kemba and possible trades. But he asks – one, do you send Rob to summer league this year? I don't think you send him at all. He's no, he, he he's graduated from that. He's he's, he's a too starter. good. He's a starter. He's a starter who's played three years. Like the oldest dudes in summer league are typically after it's after their second year, and if you're good, you typically don't play a third year at all. So he would be way too qualified for summer league. He would um, dominate summer league. That'd be a lot of fun. 
Let him rest. Let him recover. The extension thing, I think it's That's tricky. That's the bigger question. Like, how how much money are you willing to give Robert Williams right now, just given his injury history and given his injury history, are you able to kind of lock him in at a lower number uh, and possibly kind of get just a good value deal for Robert Williams now? Say he is healthy, then you maybe have him under market value for, you know, three to four years. Yeah, I think from the Celtics perspective – it might make sense to to hold off and and see what he does next year, see if he can stay healthy. And if he outperforms what you would have given him on a contract this year and he stays healthy the whole year and you can feel more comfortable about his health, then cool, you you can pay him more. And like that's fine if 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 he's right and he's starting and he's making a huge difference. Um, but on the other hand, like if if he's injured again and then you have another year of of kind of evidence i guess or another year of evaluation is is a better word to kind of determine your next steps with him and and see if you want him as as part of the future see see what you want to pay him it also takes two to tango on this one because like if you can like good friend of the show seabart asked if you offer him four for 40 this summer, I would offer him that in a heartbeat because I think he's just worth more than $10 million. Even if he gets hurt, I think Rob Williams would spit at that offer. Like, I think he thinks he's one of the better big men in this league. If you're a starting five, a legitimate starting five, you make more than $10 million a year. And so like Robert Williams has a chance to bet on himself. And I think that's just interesting what his approach is because you, the Celtics could, I'm assuming the Celtics will give him an offer, a lower offer than he thinks he's worth it's whether or not he wants to kind of grab that long-term financial security or bet on himself to be healthy and like just get that bigger contract. But I think something like if you can get four for 40 for time Lord, that's amazing. I don't, I think it would probably take more than that uh, just because he has the highest ceiling. Like if you're talking about building a core, he kind of is your third guy. There's just questions of whether or not he's healthy, but so I don't, I would love to get him at that deal. I just don't think Robert Williams is going to sign that deal. Yeah, obviously the Celtics have better information than we do about Robert Williams' overall health, um, what what type of actual risk he does have moving forward. Do and we trust the Celtics training staff after this season that they just had? I think, uh, you know... It's, now, it's like it's, one of those ridiculous fan questions. We have no way of evaluating the Celtics training staff. No way of evaluating it. And it was also after just a really rough turnaround um, when... If you look at all the other teams in the similar situation, like the Heat were banged up all season. The Lakers, they just lost in the first round because Anthony Davis and LeBron James were hurt. The Nuggets, they're still going, but Jamal Murray got lost for the season, and a number of their other key players have been injured too. So I think it's it's hard to to really blame the the training staff for a lot that went on in Boston, especially because part of it was just COVID cases. Like it, it wasn't even injuries. It was COVID cases. And then guys came back and even when they got back, they weren't right. So it, I, I'll never try to speculate on how good a training staff is. Um, it's one of those weird things though, because like the Suns have that like reputation of like, Oh, they have the best training staff in the league. I have no idea how to, figure that out because injuries feel like a lot of dumb luck. Like, I don't know, LeBron got hurt this year just on like a weird collision with Solomon Hill. 
I don't know how you really uh, evaluate those things or make those decisions. It just, um, it was, um, as soon as I asked the question, I was like, oh, that's a dumb question. So I apologize to the listener gods out there uh, for engaging in uh, dumb. But it's worth, I mean, it's worth at least thinking about because the Celtics have been very injured of late and like, that's, that's for, that's, we know for sure. As far as how it pertains to Robert Williams, like, He's he's an interesting situation because he's obviously, when healthy, very good and has potential to be even significantly better than he was this past season. He's clearly a ceiling raiser, um, but how much do you trust in his body? He's only played 113 games in his career. The Celtics spent the first half of this season worried to give him too many minutes because they weren't sure his body would hold up. And then... After they, played, up. <laughs> after they played him, like he got turf toe and then he hurt his ankle. And so he had the hip issue earlier in the season. So there's there's a there's a lot, there's kind of a track record there that that definitely gives you would give you make you a little nervous if if you're the Celtics and thinking about offering him a big deal this offseason. All right, this is my own question that I just thought of as we get to the rest of the roster. Does Tristan Thompson have any trade value? And is there any way the Celtics can part ways with him, especially given what we know about their current roster, like the issues around Robert Williams? Like Tristan Thompson's, I think, a fine backup center, but if Robert Williams is going to be hurt, he's not necessarily the best starting center, but they really don't have many other options uh, on the roster in terms of a big, what do you think they do with uh, Tristan in this offseason? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, it, you know, his contract, they'd probably want to get off it just because you can probably get similar production for less money, um, whether that's finding, you know, a, a center for the lower taxpayer mid-level exception or finding someone um, – I don't know how it works, but he has the full mid-level. Like, if they trade him, do they then get a full mid-level, or are they in the tax already so they can only have the tax mid-level? They would probably still be in the tax. Uh, I mean, it it would depend on what else they do, but but likely if they, they resign Fournier, they then they're automatically in the tax. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Tristan, his contract is another one that you look at um, as something that they could potentially move, but. What would it cost them to move? Could they find someone who would just want him and wouldn't make them use an asset to dump him? I'm not convinced that that option is out there. Last last season, you know, Ennis Cantor, they had to trade additional value on top of him to, to get rid of the last year of his contract. So it could be a similar similar problem this year. Um but we'll see. We'll see. Again, that's that's one of the things Stevens will have to figure out, like whose money stays, whose money goes, and how much of a luxury tax payment are the owners willing to spend for a team that was just 500 this past year and obviously needs work, even though they should be substantially better just if they get reasonable health next season. Another, I think, important thing is just the development of their two young first-round draft picks. And this question comes from Ben Anderson or Benderson15. 
Which player is most likely to benefit from a full offseason? Romeo Langford or Aaron Neesmith? Uh, I mean, I have no idea. I know. I'm putting you in prediction mode, and you don't like doing predictions. Well, it's just I don't know who could benefit the most, but I do know that both of those players basically had no offseason last year. Um, Romeo Lankford was hurt. His his right wrist was hurt. His shooting wrist was hurt. So he wasn't able to to work on his shot like he would have wanted to. And so I think he could really, really benefit from a full off season of, of working on his shot, trying to become a much, much better shooter. If you look at his stats, like he needs a lot of offensive improvement to so that the Celtics aren't playing four on five when he's out there. And if he can be even just an average offensive player, then he's going to be a keeper because he has length and he has defensive aptitude. And that's all very valuable, but he needs to find some way to be an, an offensive, a productive offensive player. And then Neesmith, similar thing with him last year. He had the injury that ended his college season. He didn't play five on five once from that injury, which was in January until November when the Celtics started training camp. So I think both players should be better next season. Both of them will be in a spot where they've had a lot of work um, they've had a lot of time to improve and they know what they need to improve on. So I think like to me, those guys are, are both pretty promising. Uh, and the fact that, and the Celtics need guys like that, which, which makes it even more important for them to develop because if you can surround Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with two other guys who are like six, five and long and can switch and play defense and play hard and do all those things, then all of a sudden your defense looks a lot better than it did when you were playing two bigs or two point guards as, you know, your pretty regular rotation, at least early in the season. So I think the Celtics need the defensive versatility, and I think both of those guys can give it. This is a big offseason for them. It's it's really big, and it'll be especially big if the Celtics don't keep Fournier or if they – do have to take a, a depth hit because of their salary cap situation. Yeah, I agree that they're both important. I think Romeo has more of an opportunity to kind of make a leap just because he has that one more year of experience in the league. And I think we've seen him just be more established on the defensive end. He had his best game in his career in game five against the Nets but like and was knocking down some threes. But if he even becomes a decent three-point shooter, I think with his defense and especially his defensive versatility – I think he can do a lot of uh, good and kind of get a place in the rotation. Neesmith, I love him. He's a wild card. He's shot out of a cannon every single time. Probably needs to rein that in a little bit. And um, he's showed a little bit more um, offensive skills in terms of playmaking than I necessarily thought he had. But, like, he still needs to kind of control all of that crazy energy. And, like, I don't know – it's going to be nice for him to have an off season, but I think it takes kind of like NBA reps um, to kind of do that. And I just think Romeo is kind of in better position, just given that he's more trusted on the defensive end now to kind of make a step moving forward. See, but Neesmith has the three ball. And Does he though? Did he really shoot that well from three? Shot, this shot 37%. Everyone you talk to about him just says he has a next level shot. So with a little bit more confidence with a, a full off season of work on the NBA three, who knows? And then, but either one, 
is like if if either one of those guys can develop and become a good rotation player, that would help the Celtics so much. So no pressure, guys, but the Celtics really, really <laughs> need off you. season's riding on you. Yeah. Uh, Romeo, my favorite stat about him is he hit more threes against the Nets than he did in either his rookie season or his second season in the NBA. Is that true? Yeah. That's wild. Five threes as a rookie, five threes in his shortened second year, and six against the Nets. He had 10 threes heading into that series? 10 for 45, yeah. Sheesh, Marcus Smart's done that in a game. It's true. (laughs) That's wild. Um, All right, there's a couple questions here about – um, Taco and Tremont. I just I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that. I just don't think they're necessarily back on the roster this year. Um, there's also some questions about the draft. I have no idea, like what the Celtics are going to do with the sixth pick, sixteenth pick. I'm going to go to Tankathon right now. I'm going to do a mock draft. Going to sim the uh, mock draft. Celtics are going to take Isaiah Jackson, six ten freshman out of Kentucky. Um, that's about as good an analysis as I'm going to be able to give you on the on the NBA draft coming up. Isaiah Jackson. Good they had, pick. They had good luck with it, Isaiah. Yes. Two years back. That is true. The question I have been thinking a lot about as I've watched the NBA playoffs recently um, is, have the Nets ruined the NBA? Uh, this is your own question? Yeah, I've just put it in. It's a sick joke. It's it. They just make it no fun. I think they – the fact that the big three was hurt this entire year – really um, made it so people didn't get upset. Like, remember when KD went to the Warriors and everyone was furious and like, oh, these super teams have gotten out of control. The Nets avoided that by not having their super team intact. But for them just to stomp the uh, Milwaukee Bucks two games in a row without James Harden, and now Blake Griffin's just a dunking machine, it's frankly absurd, and I just don't know. Like, we're talking about all these moves. What do any of these teams do to stop the Nets? Like they, the well, Nets first, have the same exact team next year. Absent injuries, how do you slow them down? They've ruined the league. They've ruined the league, Jay. You're you're an embarrassment, first of all. To who? To the league. To the league. I, I'm, 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 I'm far more four four. Far more pissed off that the Nets have been humiliating in the two games. James Harden has played for like forty seconds of this series. James Harden has barely played, and they still can't stop these dudes. Like, you you went out and you got P.J. Tucker. You went out and you got Drew Holiday. Well, P.J. Tucker's a known You've Kevin Durant. You've got the reigning defensive player of the year, and, and you can't get any stops against a team without a former MVP? Uh, the Bucs have looked so bad in these two games. They need to do some soul searching. They need to give us a competitive series because, I mean, Jazz, the Jazz Clippers game was fantastic. The Nuggets Suns series, I think, could be a good one. I need to see the Bucs at least challenge these dudes. They need to score more than 100 points. They haven't scored more than 100 points with. Like against the Nets defense, we saw Jason Tatum give them 50 and then 40. Like you can score against this team, but for some reason, and it, is it just a flaw in Giannis's game where Blake Griffin can easily just stand at the foul line to defend him? Like how do they not have a guy who can, like we saw Jason Tatum basically be able to attack 
any person on the Nets lineup who was not named Kevin Durant. And even then, he shot over Kevin Durant and made shots. What is the Bucks' offensive strategy? And what happened to Chris Middleton? The man is a demon. The man, you put him against the Boston Celtics, and he does not miss. And he, him and Drew Holiday are averaging total combined 30 points in the first two games. Like, as much as you shit on the net, uh, Bucks for not stopping the Nets, like, no one can stop the Nets. If you're going to beat them, you need to score the basketball. And they just... Giannis, he had a pretty efficient game one, but they just don't have anything. And I don't know like what the what any team does uh, moving forward. Like, does what team left has the best chance of slowing down the Nets and being able to score with them? See, I think what what the Nets have done to take the Bucks out of their offense is they they're just switching everything, and they've they force you into isolation, and the Bucks are just settling. They didn't plan for that. Giannis has to be better. Chris Middleton has to be better. Some of it is just like beat your man, force help, and find an open guy, and don't settle. So I'm embarrassed by the Bucs. I, I am. I, I thought this was a different year for them. I thought they were ready to at least challenge the Nets. They have been just a joke. A joke. An absolute joke. Uh, they got beat by like 112 points. They were out of it within the first quarter and just, like, never came back. It's just – I thought this was going to be the playoff series. I thought this was the NBA Finals. I thought it was a matchup of the two best remaining teams, and the Bucks have to do something. Just They owe it to everyone else in the league uh, to make that happen. Uh, any other observations from the playoffs so far uh, just in terms of this second-round series? You mentioned, the, like, all the three other series are pretty good. Um, I've been mostly impressed with two guys – Trey Young, just he's a villain. He's a, a he plays with no honor, but I love it when it's against the 76ers. He's just been very good and just like a lot. The Hawks offense has been shocking to me in terms of how good it is. Uh, and then DeAndre Ayton, uh, just didn't think he was like this solid and has just like proven it in he's still only 22 years old. Like those guys, both of those guys were like, oh. Nice, nice little playoff performances from two young guys in the league. Yeah, I think a lot of young guys have kind of used this to catapult themselves into more stardom and to make people realize just how good they are. Tatum being one of them, but Luca, Donovan Mitchell, um, although Donovan Mitchell, obviously he did it last year in the one series the Jazz had. But, I mean, you could go down the list. Trey, like the next generation – Devin Booker, like a lot of these guys have just kind of used this as a a vaulting board into just pr- to prove that that you know they're they're next and it's it's ironic um in a way that it was like the the one year LeBron has struggled and gotten beaten the first round that that this next wave of stars is just out there. And then KD and James Harden are just over on the side, like, and Kyrie are like, nah, 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 not yet. Like you guys are good, but it's not your time quite yet. Um, but yeah, all the young guys, like a lot of them have, have really, really used this opportunity to showcase just how good the young talent in the league is. Oh yeah. J- John Morant. That's another one. Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a fun playoffs, but I do, find myself just getting angrier and angrier with how good the Brooklyn Nets are. And I think we've been rope-a-doped. I think that they, they're they like 
if they sweep the Bucks, the outrage is going to uh, flip. Like people are just going to be like anti-super team. Uh, if they just go waltzing to the finals, people are going to be furious. Here's the real question. Would I consider rooting for the Utah Jazz if they played the Nets in the finals? Because that's how much – everyone knows how much I hate the Jazz as a franchise, as an organization, as a whole motherfucking crew. I might consider rooting for them if it means taking down the juggernaut Nets. That's how much it just seems unfair like that they have Kevin Durant. Basically just Kevin Durant's really fucking good. I mean, that, that's what I talked about in our uh, playoff preview podcast, but Kevin Durant, pretty good at basketball these days. Very, very good at basketball, especially when you can't really send help. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what's going to happen with the Celtics offseason. I don't know who the Celtics head coach is going to be. Uh, I feel like this each podcast, until the moves uh, happen, we're just going to talk about the same eight topics until uh, one of it happens. So it's going next week we're going to be back, and we're going to be talking about who the head coach will be, what the Celtics are going to do with Kemba, who, uh, what they should do with Marcus Smart and uh, whether or not they should extend Robert Williams. I'm excited to have that conversation again next week because this is what uh, the NBA offseason is uh, all about. We are shifting to one podcast a week just because two would be ridiculous at this point, but we're going to be here doing it live on YouTube's C-Bart. I know you came at my neck. I love it. I love the uh, participation of the folks in the comments. Uh, just makes the podcast experience more fun. So uh, if you enjoy us here on YouTube, please subscribe. If you enjoy listening to the pod, subscribe. Give us five stars and uh, do all those things that podcast hosts ask you to do. Now, Jay, is 1995 American League MVP Mo Vaughn potable? Hell yeah. Mo Vaughn is potable. potable. 